here we go. Now there's a couple questions as we sit here on New Year's Day. You know, this only happens once every seven years where we get to be together on New Year's Day. Is that awesome? What a great way to start the year. Yeah? Okay, so I have a couple questions. Like, I mean, one question that's just resounding in my mind is why is there no college football on, this, on uh, New Year's Day? Are any of you, like, concerned about that? I'm concerned, but okay, none of you are. Fine. That's, yeah, I'm traveling tomorrow, so that's right, I'm bummed out. How many of you made it actually to midnight last night and you were awake? All right, most of you did it. And so, you know, I, I realize I got to keep things moving so that you stay awake. None of you, though, are as tired as my daughter who works at Disneyland and she went in at 10 p.m., worked till 4 a.m., and has not been asleep. So I'll be watching her just to see how we're doing up here and see if she's still awake. All right, okay, and of course, sort of the operative word for New Year's Day is change, change. And of course, the, the famous thing that we always do on New Year's Day is we make New Year's resolutions. So here's the deal. Let me just ask this question. This is kind of a fun question. How many of you have made a resolution for this year? You're sitting here and you have at least one resolution in your mind. Raise your hand. Okay, that's about right. About a quarter of you do that, and most people don't do it. So I'm going to help you out because obviously you need some help in setting New Year's resolutions. And I have a list of the top resolutions for 2012. I don't know how they come up with this list, but I looked at several, and you'll be glad to know they're all exactly the same. Okay, so we're going to guess the New Year's resolution list. No, we aren't going to guess it because they were just up on the screen. Makes it a lot easier to guess. But, um, okay, so those are the New Year's resolutions. Stop smoking, get fit, lose weight, enjoy life more, quit drinking, organize myself, learn something new, get out of debt, spend more time with family, and help people. And you know what is so interesting about that list? Guess what the list was last year? It was exactly the same. I looked at it. I mean, the wording is different. The order is a little different. But it is that list. And so just for fun, I went back and I looked at the New Year's resolution list of 2002. And guess what the list was? It was this list. What does that tell you about this list? We don't do them. We don't change. We set the, and that's the reason why three quarters of you don't set resolutions, right? Because you're like, it does no good. And if you want to know if that's actually true, it is. People do research on this. And guess what? Those of you that have set a resolution, uh, by the end of the week, a quarter of you will have already failed. <laughs> and by the end of the month, le less than half of you will still be on target. So it is ugly. That's the reason we don't set resolutions is because we don't actually change. Resolutions don't actually change us. And today what I want to talk to you about is the importance of change. Because what the Bible tells us is that an essential part of walking with God is actually changing. Uh, the Bible assumes that we're going to change. And, uh, and really, if we don't change, we aren't doing what God wants us to do. He wants us to become actually different kinds of people. Um, a great quote from a guy named Erwin McManus out of a book called The Barbarian Way. Uh, he says this. He says, you cannot meet the creator of the universe and remain the same. If the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present comes to dwell within your heart, you would expect at least some minor disruption. And I love that quote 
Because, you know, really, if we do believe that God comes to live inside of us, and this is the God that created the heavens and the earth with, like, one word, and keeps not just the universe, because now cosmologists believe that there's many universes, maybe infinite amount of universes, and the Bible says that he holds them together basically with his pinky finger, you would expect if that kind of power is inside of us, that there would be at least some minor disruption to our normal lives. So the issue is not that God doesn't want us to change or doesn't expect us to change. The issue really for most of us is, is not that we don't want to change. Most of us would say, I want to change. I don't want to be sitting here on New Year's Day 2013. Well, you definitely don't want to be sitting here because uh, church doesn't meet on New Year's Day next year. But I don't want to be sitting here and be the same as I was last year. I mean, that would be discouraging to me to think that I made no progress, that there was no change in my life, that nothing happened. So today what I want to talk to you about is how God expects us to change. Because I think the issue is not uh, that we don't want to change, and I also think the issue isn't that we don't put any energy into changing. We just don't put effective energy into changing. And God actually has something to tell us about that. So in your Bibles, turn to an Old Testament book, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is, uh, if you go right to the middle of the Bible, the Psalms, Ezekiel is past Psalms by a few books, and it's pretty big, so you'll probably hit it if you're leafing through there. Ezekiel was written to the Jews, and let me just give you a little background about Ezekiel writing this book. This is called the exile time, and what had happened was that the Jews, for a long, long time, had gone through a cycle, and the cycle looked like this. Uh, God came to them and said, I expect you to do certain things and behave certain ways because you're my people. I expect you to, to match up to a certain standard. The Ten Commandments were sort of the foundation of that standard. And so the people would try to do it. And then after a while, they would stop trying to do it. And they would give up. And they would fall into sin. And they would get into some kind of trouble. And then they would repent and they'd come back to God and ask for forgiveness, and God would forgive them, and they'd get back on track for a little while, and they'd go for a little while, and then they'd fall off the wagon again, and they, this cycle continued on and on and on and on and on through the Old Testament. Uh, it sounds pretty common to how a lot of us live our lives, right? Is, you know, you sort of, I make this commitment, I work really hard, I set a resolution, and after a while I fall off the wagon, and then I get in some trouble, and so I recommit, and then I'm really onto it for a while, and then eventually I fall off it again. Well, at this point in history, God had punished them, or they had come to a point where it was worse than ever. They had actually lost their land. A conquering army had come in, taken them out of their land, which in that day and age was the worst possible thing that could happen. And so they're sitting in exile, and Ezekiel writes this book to the people as they are in exile, as they are in the worst place they could possibly be. And the verses I want us to look at here, it actually comprises one of the most hopeful passages in the whole Bible. Uh, not just the Old Testament, but in the whole Bible. So let's go ahead and look at this. It's Ezekiel chapter 36 starting in verse 26. And let's go ahead and we'll read this out loud together, okay? I think we have it up on the screen. So let's read with our New Year's excited voices, okay? Are you ready? Okay, are you ready? Yes. Woo, here we go. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. All right, good job. Now, let me just explain a couple of things about this. Uh, the word heart is an interesting word in the Bible and it is different than the way we typically use the word heart in our society. When we talk about heart, we usually are meaning kind of emotional things. When you say something like, I am heart sick, that's an emotional thing. Or you're pulling on my heart strings, okay? Uh, you know, I have a heart ache. Those are all emotional statements. And typically when we talk about the heart, we connect it with emotions. But that is not the case when the Bible uses the term heart. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament Heart does not mean just our emotional sort of seat. It is also our intellectual and our volitional seat. In other words, the word heart really comprises, the idea here, it is the center of who you are. It is, it is the essence of who you are. If I was to say, you know, who is the heart of Kevin Pike, you would say whatever the essence of Kevin is, you take that away from Kevin and he's no longer Kevin. It is the essence of who somebody is. Uh, it's sort of if you use the word, sometimes we use the word when you're shooting an arrow and you hit it right in the middle of the target and you say, I hit the heart of the target, right in the center of the target. When the Bible talks about the heart, that is what it's talking about. It's talking about the center of who you are. So when Ezekiel here is talking about changing a heart, he's not talking about changing emotions, you know, sort of helping you emotionally grow up or whatever the thing is. He's talking about the essence of who you are. How do you essentially become a different person? That's really what Ezekiel is hitting on here. Now, the second thing is he says you can't do it alone. You're not going to have the power to change your heart. And he introduces... Uh, a, a person, really, that is going to help you. And it's sort of in code words here. But who is the person that he says that God will give you? The Spirit. The Spirit. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. He says, I will put my Spirit in you and in partnership with the efforts that you put in and the efforts that the Spirit puts in, you're actually going to change. Your heart is going to change. The essence of who you are is going to change. And this is such an interesting concept because it is so much different than how we typically try to change. Here's what Ezekiel is telling us. He's telling us that it's not what you do, it's who you are. And the problem is, is we, most of us engage in what we would call behavior modification. We think, okay, I need to lose weight, so I'm going to change my diet, my eating, or maybe my exercise regiment. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to get to the place that I want to be. Now, for those of you that have ever dieted, how many of you have ever dieted? Okay, just totally honest. Okay. Um, how did it go? Let's just be honest. Let's talk about it. How many of you would say it was a good thing, took off the weight, never gained it back? It's an awesome thing. How many of you would say that? That's my story? Okay, there's two of you. Three, maybe four. How many of you, there's a lot of you that raised your hand. I'm assuming for the rest of you, it did not go so well. 
And you know what research tells us? If you diet, there is almost one thing that is certain, and that is you will gain weight. You'll do the diet for a while, you'll lose weight, your metabolism will change, you'll start eating the way that you used to eat, and you don't just go back to your normal weight. No, you have a gift, the gift that keeps on giving. You keep gaining weight. And so here's what, but here's what people tell us. Here's what people like that know what they're talking about talking, tell us. They say, diets don't work. What you need to change is your whole attitude about food. You don't just need to change your behavior. You need to change your thinking. And this is an interesting thing, too. Paul, in the New Testament, talks to us about how we change. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're talking about how you change a heart here, if you're filling in the blanks, how you change a heart. Romans 12, 2 says these words. Let's read it together because I'm trying to keep you all awake. All right? Here we go. With your enthusiastic New Year's voices, okay? One more time. Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, now there's an interesting word on there called transformed. And it comes from a Greek word called morph. And what's a word that we get from morph in our English? It means change and like metamorphosis means something that changes into something that's totally different, right? Metamorphosis. The idea of morph is changing. How many of you were Mighty Morphin Power Ranger fans at some point in your life? Okay, some of you. Josh, come on now, man. I know you were. You're my son. Sorry. He's like called out for that in church. Thanks, Dad. Last time I'm coming. All right. So, um, well, the whole idea of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was, I mean, it was like this Japanese show that was like really poorly dubbed into English. But it was about these teenagers that could, I think, like drink some juice or something, right? Juice? Uh, let's morph, morph indeed. And, uh, and they would change into martial arts experts and fight people for justice. That was sort of the idea. But it actually entered into the English language, now this idea of morph. Most of us have heard the word morph because of that great TV show. And the idea is not just an incidental change. Morphing means a change of essence. Really, the center of who you are, the heart of you changes. That's the idea of morphing. Now, in this verse, it says something... You need to do something in order to morph. And what is it in this verse that it says you've got to do? You've got to renew your mind, right? You've got to change your mind. You've got to have your mind become a different way of thinking. And that's, again, what uh, nutritionists tell us. If you really want to lose weight, you've got to think about food differently. It's not enough just to change your behavior because eventually you will always go back to the center of who you are. And if the center of you doesn't change then that's, you're destined to be the same. And this, folks, this is the issue of why we don't change. Because we think that it's just changing behavior. And God says, no, it's changing your heart. It's changing the center of who you are. You need to engage in practices that change the center of who you are. And that is the way, eventually, you become a different person. It is God's way of changing. And the great thing that God says is, and I'll put my spirit in you because you can't do it by yourself. My Holy Spirit will actually help you change. But you've got to stop thinking about just doing things differently. It's not doing, it's becoming. Becoming something different, a new creature, 
a new creation, a new man, a new woman. That's the idea here. So, are you guys interested in how you do that? Say yes. Okay, because otherwise I've got to go back and do that whole beginning part again to get you excited. All right, so here's what I want to do. For the rest of our time, I want to talk to you about a really simple change in your mind of how you think about this. And I'm just going to call it training instead of trying. Training instead of trying. And I'll give you an illustration of how this works, how this didn't work for me. Uh, a few years uh, after, uh, well, actually shortly after Julie and I got married, and we were living in Irvine, and a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, listen, there is a 10K race that's being run around UC Irvine. I know you used to run for Irvine, and how would you like to do that with me? And I was like, oh, sure, that would be great. And he goes, it's in the morning, and then afterwards we'll all come over to my house, and our wives will be there, and they can cook us some stuff, and a whole bunch of people come over, and we'll have a party afterwards. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So anyway, I was all excited about it, and um, you know, years before I'd run track at UCI, and so this was one of those things I'm like, six miles, no problem. There was a problem, which is I had not run for months. I was totally out of shape. But I showed up, and I noticed there were some guys, actually, that I'd run track with that were there, and my friend was all pumped to do it, and you know, he was, he was a little overweight, so, you know, I was gonna, I, I sort of was like, I'll run with you, you know, I'll just sort of stay with you, and, you know, we'll do that together. You guys can see this coming, I, I can tell. And so we sort of go off, the gun goes off, and I'm running, and I'm waving to people, and saying hi, and all this stuff, and thinking about the pancakes I'm gonna eat later, and feeling great in the first mile, and, you know, just running along, and my friend is sort of trying to keep up with me, and I'm like, come on, come on, and so trying to encourage him. And uh, we get into mile two and then mile three, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but the oxygen in Irvine disappeared. And all of a sudden, I could not breathe. And I was laboring. Oh my gosh, it got so bad. So pretty soon, my friend's like in front of me, sort of encouraging me to come on, and, and I'm trying. And, I, and, and so we go on, and, and eventually it's like mile five, and, you know, it's like the people that have put out the water have already packed up and left by the time I'm running by. I mean, it's looking bad. And... I still remember this image vividly, and this is not a chauvinistic statement or a statement about people that are overweight or anything like that. All I'm telling you is that I think, unless this was like a delusion at this point, there was this woman who was probably in her like 50s that was a good 30 pounds overweight, short, and she passed me. And I mean, I tried to keep up with her, and I did for about three steps, and then she just pulled away from me. And, uh, you know, I basically collapsed coming over the line. And uh, it was funny. So we went back to the house, and as we were getting out of the car, uh, I needed to be carried at that point. But as we were getting out of the car, Julie said, how did it go? And my friend said, Kevin won. And she goes, I knew it. <laughs> it was the last time I, you know, she, she'll never believe the best about me anymore. But anyway, so it was humiliating. And I want to just, as God is my witness, I want to tell you this. It was not an issue of effort. I have never worked so hard in a race in my whole life as I did in that race. When that woman passed me, I mean, I did everything in my power to try and stay up. It was not an issue of trying. The issue was training. I was not prepared for that race. I was not ready to do that. And this is what the Bible talks about. If you're interested in having your heart change, 
You've got to train. It's not the case where at the moment of truth, you're just going to try really hard. And that's the mistake we get in. And Paul writes a really interesting uh, sort of illustration to emphasize this point. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. <clears throat> and he writes these words. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And here's what Paul is talking about here, incidentally. Just keep the verses up. Um, the Isthmian Games were, were done in Corinth every two years. They were sort of like the Olympics. There were the Olympics, but it was sort of the Olympics for that area. They were a huge deal. Uh, lots of uh, athletes trained. In fact, there was a rule. If you didn't go into strict training for 10 months, you couldn't even compete. And so uh, athletes from all over the empire, thousands of athletes would compete in these games. And they were sort of like the Olympics. And people from all over the empire would come every two years, and it would be a huge celebration, very much like the Olympics, where there was lots of festivals, lots of partying. Uh, there was all kinds of commotion and all kinds of exciting things happen. But of course, all of it revolved around these games. So people would come, and they would come because they'd want to win the games. I mean, that was the thing. Run to win the prize. And the prize in that day and age was a wreath that you would put around your head uh, that was made uh, just out of a vine or something. And eventually, of course, the wreath would die. They would put up statues and all kinds of things. I mean, it was just like in our day and age. The great athletes were the celebrated people in the society. And so uh, Paul uses this illustration to say they go into strict training. They don't just show up on the day of the race and try really hard. I mean, that's something like that Kevin would do, but that's not something that any of these athletes would do. They would recognize that unless I'm prepared, unless I train, I can't possibly do what I want to do at the moment of truth. Effort is not the issue at that point. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You are not prepared. And so Paul goes on to say, they do it to get a crown that will not last, this little wreath, uh, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And then he just makes this point. He goes, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so Paul makes it a very personal statement after that. Here is the key. Anyone that waits for the moment of truth to put in the effort is going to fail. That's the point that Paul is making here. That's the point that God makes. If you're thinking that you can change your heart just when you hit a crisis time in your life or you hit a moment in your life where you really, really, really need to be a different sort of person, what Paul is saying is you'll never do it. You're never going to rise up to the occasion just at the moment. The key is to back up and to start working hard much earlier on. It is to start training. Training for your heart to change. That is the actual way that you change. And as we read in Ezekiel, God gives you his Holy Spirit to say, and I will help you do that. I will be in your life to help you do that. So the question, really, if you're interested in being a different person and changing your heart, remember, it's not what you do, it's who you become. Let's try that again. It's not what you do, it's who you become. 
become. It's your heart. It's a heart change that God's looking for. It always takes training and not just trying. Trying at the moment of truth is futile. Just remember me being passed by a 50-year-old overweight woman, and you'll know that that's the case. It is an issue of training. And God gives you a trainer called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has two tools primarily. There are more than two. I want to only focus on two right now. The two primary tools that the Holy Spirit uses to train you to be a different person. Uh, we have, you guys know Jairus, who's usually here. He's flying back right now from South Carolina. His wife, Stacy, is a personal trainer. And when we moved her into her house, she looked at the garage and she said, that garage is mine for my training. And the next time I went over, she had all, these, uh, all this equipment that was in her garage to help people train. And, uh, and I said, wow, I'm really impressed, Stacy. You know, you've got all this stuff. And she goes, well, I wouldn't be much of a trainer if I didn't have this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And the reality is she needs that stuff to help people change. She needs to have that equipment to change. Well, God tells us that there's two pieces of equipment that the Holy Spirit says, I've got to have this equipment if you want me to change you. And it's up to you to get this in the garage. You've got to get this around me so that I can do it. All right, the first one is God's word. That is the first thing. It's called the sword of the spirit in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul is talking about the, the Bible, and he calls it the sword of the spirit. It's, the, it's like one of the tools the spirit uses to change you from the inside out. It's called the sword of the spirit. And uh, when the Bible talks about the sword of the spirit, uh, it's talking about this idea that there's something about it when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, that the Spirit actually, the Spirit who is inside of you, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit inside of you, uh, that there's something that happens that the Spirit brings things out to you that you need to know. He customizes things for you. So let me just ask you this question, because I think that I'm probably telling you something that a lot of you know. How many of you have ever read something in the Bible, maybe even something that you had read before, but for some reason, it just jumped out at you. It like hit you right between the eyes. It was like reading it almost for the first time. How many of you have ever had that experience? Okay, it's a pretty common experience. And I'm just telling you, here's the reason. There's no magic behind it. It doesn't happen when you read other books, right? It's because the spirit, for some reason, he, he grasps onto something and he says, that's it. That's what you need. And if you went to Stacy for physical training and she looked you, know, you up and down and she said, okay, I know exactly what you need. That's sort of what the Holy Spirit does. I know exactly what you need. So when you read this thing, I'm going to make certain things come sort of front and center. These are going to just be absolutely driven into your mind. You're going to have to, you know, like turn away not to notice that this is what I want you to get this time. So here's the deal. If we don't give the Holy Spirit this tool, uh, we take away a huge arsenal that he's saying, this is how I change your life, don't you understand? I need to have that. I need to have that thing going through your mind, and I will highlight certain parts of that so that when that hits you, you're going to go, whoa, that is something that's very relevant for me. Uh, the Bible is extremely relevant. Let me ask you a question. If you were marooned on a desert island, what is the one book you would want to have? I would want to have 
practical shipbuilding for dummies. <laughs> I'm just saying, that would be me, you know? I, I'm all over the Bible, but for that particular situation, I would rather have something that would get me off the island. And the point that I'm making here is the Bible is very relevant for changing your life. If you want the book that's the most relevant for your life changing, it will be reading the Bible. There's just no question about it. It's been true, even if you're a skeptic. Listen, I'm just telling you. It's been true over 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, and even longer for the Old Testament, the Bible has actually changed people's lives. It is still the oldest, you know, the oldest book is still the best-selling book around the world because it actually changes you. Getting into a plan to read the Bible is really important. I'm going to come back to that in a second. There is a second tool that the, that the Holy Spirit needs, and it's prayer. It's when we talk to God. That's all that prayer is, when we talk to God or when we talk and listen to God. And it says in Romans 8 that there is this really interesting supernatural dynamic that happens when we pray. Um, I've asked you this before, so we'll just reinforce this point one time. Uh, how many of you have been in a really bad situation? Uh, circumstantially, it's terrible. And somehow you remember to pray, and you pray, and nothing has changed in your circumstances, but you just feel better about it. You just have kind of a peace. How many of you have experienced that? All right, that is a really common experience, too. You know why that happens? Because the Holy Spirit engages. Because the Holy Spirit comes in, and it says that one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit, is peace. And so when you pray, all of a sudden he's like, all right, I'm activated. I'm going to give you a peace, a peace that transcends understanding. You're not even going to know why, because nothing changed except you. I changed your heart. So... The Bible and prayer are the two things that the Holy Spirit says, put those in the garage so I can change you. I can't work without these tools. I've got to have these tools to have your life be different. And this is a training issue. This is not just trying really hard. It's getting into some kind of routine where these become part of your life. So here's what I want to do. And here's the danger of what I'm about to do. Uh, I'm going to give you a really specific plan on how to do this. Now, the reason I'm doing it is because to be just sort of uh, vague about it, you're going to walk out and you're going to go, well, I don't really know how to do that. To be super specific, the problem is, is it would be like saying there's one way to build a relationship, you know, with your spouse. And it's like, no, that's not the only way to do it. I understand there's a lot of ways that you can get the Bible in your life, get prayer in your life. I just want to give you a really specific one so you've got something to go on. And if you decide you want to do something else, that's fine. But at least I'm going to give you something, okay? So if you have your pencils ready, pens ready, here's what we're going to do. Uh, there's a term called spiritual breathing. And so you breathe in, God's word. You breathe out, your prayers. Sp spiritual breathing. I want to give you a way to breathe in and a way to breathe out. Okay? So here's the deal on reading the Bible. You just got to do it. You know, there, I, there's no magic way to do it. You just got to do it. But having some kind of a plan is a good thing. So let me give you guys a suggestion. Um, there is a book that came out a few years ago, uh, years ago called Jesus Calling. Have any of you ever heard of it or even used it? Some of you have used it. Okay. So let me tell you what this is and what it isn't. It is not a Bible reading plan. 
It is a devotional guide. But what's so interesting about it is a devotional guide where a woman did this spiritual breathing. She was breathing God's word, and then what you have here are pages of her just sharing what, what she felt like God was saying to her, her prayers back to God. That's sort of the way this works. Um, we have, this is the thing that our church is going to do this year. If you're interested in following along with a lot of other people, we have these for sale out there. I don't even know how much they are, but we have those out there. And you're welcome to pick one up if you would like to do it. But let me just show you uh, what she reads on the first day, because you'll see that this is kind of a relevant little thing. She says for January 1st, um, and this is her basically feeling, this is her believing this is what Jesus is saying to her. She says, come to me with a teachable spirit, eager to be changed. A close walk with me is a life of continual newness. Do not cling to old ways as you step into a new year. Instead, seek my face with an open mind, knowing that your journey with me involves being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ha, love that. Um, as you focus your thoughts on me, be aware that I am fully attentive to you. I see you with a steady eye because my attention span is infinite. I know and understand you completely. My thoughts embrace you in everlasting love. Uh, it says, I also know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Give yourself fully to this adventure of increasing attentiveness to my presence. And then it has a couple scriptures that you read along with that. This is one way, if you want to just have a training regiment this year, you could pick up this devotion. It has a thought like that, has some scripture to read. It is certainly a way to do it. If you're like, I'm not the devotional type, that's not how I do it. If you go to the Mariner's website, it has reading plans on there. You go to Version. If you go to the Mariner's website and you go to the... Bible, I think it's called Bible Alternatives or something. There is version, and it's actually an electronic reading plan. It is the best thing. I downloaded it onto my iPhone. You can read it every day. You just pluck on the thing. It gives you exactly the reading for that day. And they have all different things. You can read the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole Bible. Chronologically, you can read it. Uh, they have so many different alternatives. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter which of those you do. Just do one of them. Just do something. Give the Spirit something to work with. Make a commitment. Say, this year I'm going to read the Bible on a regular basis, on a daily basis. I'm going to get a little bit of that. I'm going to train. Because it's in the training over weeks and months that your heart actually changes. And on the prayer side, I just want to again encourage you. You know that I talk this way. Um, it's not the only way to do it. But for my prayer life, I journal. I actually write things down because for me, my mind wanders so much when I pray. And for me, if I will just slow down enough to actually write something down, it slows me. And here's the other thing that is amazing to me. I feel like going at that pace, I give God a chance to say something back to me. Really, I mean, I'll be journaling something that I'm saying and I'll get this impression in my mind and I'm like, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me that. I think that's, again, never an audible voice. I just sense, you know what? He wants to say something to me. And I got my pen out so I can write it down. And I'm just saying that those two, that spiritual breathing, reading God's word, and then writing something, maybe in response to God's word, doing that exercise 
slowly but surely changes me. It's a training regimen. It's not just trying. It's training. It's getting God's word into my, into my soul. Today is a great day to start. Today is a great day to start. So I want to bring up the Ezekiel passage one more time. I want us to read it, and then I'm going to give you a second just to pray through that passage, just to look at the passage and whatever God wants to say to you today through the Ezekiel passage. Maybe it's a challenge to you. Maybe it's an encouragement to you. Maybe it's something he's pointing out that's a little off in your life and you're feeling the conviction of it. Uh, Whatever it is, I'm just going to give you a second. We're going to read it. We're going to let you just pause for a second and reflect on it. And then we're going to worship together. All right? So let's read it together. Let's uh, read it out loud. And we'll read it for the last time in your New Year's voice here. All right? You ready? It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. All right, if you just... You can either continue to look at that or just bow and close your eyes. But I want to give you a second to just reflect. What is God saying to you through his word? Lord, I know that as I read those words, I recognize uh, how stony my heart can be. How quickly I run to things that don't do me any good. And often, how slow I am to run toward the things that you would say, this is going to give you life, Kevin. And I am so grateful for your spirit. We, as a people, are so grateful. Your spirit is here right now. I pray that you would work in us and through us. I pray that you would change us. Lord, we don't want to be here next year exactly the same as we were today. We want change, and we invite you this year. Change us, train us, help us to morph And we are grateful that you are in the life change, the heart change business. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.